on this episode of the Brody Breakdown Podcast, we'll be recapping a massive series sweep over the Toronto Blue Jays at home for Baltimore. As promised, we'll be finishing off our Orioles midseason top 30 prospect rankings. And finally, we'll be previewing what will be a crucial seven-game road trip all against divisional opponents that will make or break the Orioles' hopes at a wild card and continuing their season on to the playoffs. All of this and much more next on the Brody Breakdown Podcast. So after a tough loss to finish off a series win against the Pirates, the Orioles stayed at home and the Toronto Blue Jays came into town. It was supposed to be a three-game series, but game three got postponed to Labor Day, September the 5th, as a, for a doubleheader back at Camden Yards. So it was only a two-game uh, stop for Toronto in Baltimore. Game one, as we said, they came off of a nasty loss against Pittsburgh. The Orioles came out of the gate hot. Arias hit a three-run homer in the first and put a crooked number up on the scoreboard. And they never looked back. Lyles pitched a gem. Santander and Mountcastle went back to back. And Austin Hayes added a homer. The Orioles ended up beating the Blue Jays that game 7-4. to four. It wasn't the blowout that we were looking for, but they got the job done. The bullpen got the job done, holding them off to only four runs. That potent offense, that's a top five offense in baseball. Then the next day, Again, the Orioles put up some runs in the first inning. Mountcastle grounded into a double play with the bases loaded, none out. So that was, you wanted more out of Mountcastle there, but he still gets to run across the plate. And then Vavra comes up with two outs. And again, he had been five for six with runners in scoring, which is in to start his career. He comes up, knocks in a base hit in the center field. The Orioles make it 2 nothing in the first inning. However, the sixth inning comes up, and it was not great by any means for Baltimore. After going five strong innings, Kyle Bradish allowed back-to-back singles to Guerrero and then Kirk. There was a chance to get Guerrero at the plate, but Odor made a horrendous relay throw in, prompting Hyde to take him out of the game and put in Brian Baker. And things fell apart from there. Baker allowed a three-run homer to Bichette in that same inning after he walked a guy his second of the night right over the white right field wall, and the Blue Jays took a 5-3 lead into a 90-minute rain delay. After the delay, with a few thousand fans left, up in the bottom of the eighth inning, Austin Hayes comes up to lead off and bloops a single into center field off of Jimmy Garcia, who has been one of the Blue Jays' best relievers so far this season, under a 3 ERA. And a ready-on-ready matchup, which Hayes' struggle with, it was, he got beat. It was clear. It was a 3-2 pitch. He chased down, but he met the slider, left his hands out in front, and got a bloop single. And then we know the rest. Rubenet Odor comes up, who is the the best bad player in the history of baseball. (laughs) I mean, you could argue that the heroics that were to come wouldn't even have been necessary if Odor didn't make that error in the sixth. But as he's done so many times this year, he comes up clutch and hit a go-ahead two-run homer, and that would prove to be the game-winning shot by Odor as Bautista comes in, who now has the greatest closer entrance in baseball, walking into Omar's whistle from the wire, 
And the Orioles knocked out the Blue Jays again, this time six to five. Yeah, it, it was really sweet. Uh, I think it was a big confidence booster, actually, you know, getting knocked down by the Pirates. You had them right where you wanted them. Pittsburgh was obviously not that good of a team. We all know that. Uh, losing that last series and then just shutting in back home against a potent opponent, uh, Toronto offense and their defense has been really solid. So they're just a dangerous team. And we, we held them in check. Uh, the it, it was really the offense was fantastic. Now we're tied for the last wildcard spot with Tampa. So now this team has a lot of confidence and they're marching into a tough month. But all signs are pointing towards the right direction. Uh, I actually thought the key was the starting pitching. Uh, Jordan Lyles in the first game, he really set the tone. He was uh, painting the inside corners. And I think that was a big key because Kyle Bradish started doing that in game two, too. Uh, so I think that baffled Toronto. Uh, we held their offense in check. And so we gave ourselves a chance to win. Uh, and we came through. Uh, we were clutched late. The bullpen was good. Uh, and that leads me to my player of the series, which is Felix Bautista. Uh, he was electric. We all know his entrance. Uh, and I think that that was also a tone setter because he, he had Toronto on the ropes in both games in game one, uh, he slammed the door on them. They won seven to four, the double play, uh, four, six, three, Odor to Mateo to Mountcastle at first to close the door. Uh, and that, that was good. It was fun to see. And then the second game that was, that was really clutch. And it, it proved that he's going to stay in that closer role after the Jorge Lopez trade. Uh, he got, he got Biggio to pop out. Then Espinal hit this, like, whack. It, it jammed him. It was a whack single. Odor overthrew it. And then he got uh, Guerrero to strike out on three pitches. And then the power-on-power power matchup came up. Uh, Vladdy Guerrero, uh, we all know where he is, one of the best players in the league, uh, AL, uh, sorry, uh, AL MVP candidate last year. Uh, and uh, Bautista got him on a, like, soft line out to Odor, which is ironic because Odor was all over the place that game. To end the game, uh, he's my player of the series. He picked up two saves. He was dominant against Toronto. I just think for Batista, especially in that second save, it's just he he went through the heart of the order for Toronto too. I mean, he made Gurriel look silly. He struck him out on three pitches. He went fastball, splitter, splitter, and he. I mean, it was it was not pretty for Gurriel. And Gurriel is a is a really good hitter for Toronto. He's been great all season, and then he gets a soft contact blooper to Odor from off of the bat of Vladdy Guerrero, which is, which is crazy. And, you know, if, if you're, like you said, if you're walking out to that whistle, you better be here for a long time. And I think he will be, he's only a rookie. He's under chief control until 2027 and Felix Bautista, the mountain, just incredible. So my player of the series though, is Ryan Mountcastle. He broke out of his slump. He continues to be the Blue Jays' killer. He's the owner of the country of Canada. And in 31 career games against the Blue Jays, he's got a 356 average, 13 homers, 26 RBIs, and over a 1,200 OPS in 31 games. That, that's just crazy. Ryan is absolutely smashing it right now. And this is really good to see from a guy like Ryan, who was having an atrocious month of Ju July after a ridiculous month of June and that carried over some into August Ryan wasn't playing very good baseball and it's good to see him finally break out of that ridiculous slump he was in 
Yeah, all, all he really needs is to play the Blue Jays. I said that as a joke, but it actually came true. Uh, so, I mean, as Orioles fans know, he's practically owned them over the past, uh, since he's come into the league since 2020, the past three years. So he's been great against them. And then I would, I would, I would say uh, that he, he, I mean, like you mentioned, he's, he, I've seen comments. It was on MLB network. I think that posted that set. Uh, he's been, he's been phenomenal. Uh, so we'll see if he can carry this on. Uh, but he looks, he looks back to his normal self now. Yeah, MLB Network posted that stat before Game Two, and Ryan had a couple of RBIs in Game Two, so I had to update that, update his average, and update his ribbies. Um, so good, good for Ryan. It's really good to see. But for the moment of the series, I think this one's pretty obvious. But I'm gonna say, yeah, one, it's the Odor homer in the bottom of the eighth in Game Two. And it's also the save in tandem with that. Now, I know there was only a few thousand fans left after the rain delay. There was only 11,000 before that. But can you imagine if Cannon Yards was packed and Bautista comes in at night with that light show, with that intro, that place would have gone wild. Can you imagine a playoff scenario where Bautista comes in after the Orioles take a lead, coming in for a save in the top of the ninth against a, pl- a playoff team like the Blue Jays, that would be absolutely insane. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, dude. It, it helps his confidence out. It gets him hyped. And then as for Toronto on the other side, or even the opponent in general, they're just they're shaking in their boots, dude. They don't know what's coming. It could be the fastball, it could be the splitter. And then he threw that nasty slider. Uh, that was that was nasty. I was actually going to have, I had both those moments too, but I just wanted to mention the Rugnet Odor homer, the most bad clutch player, like you said. It's funny because six of his 11 homers have been in very clutch scenarios. Uh, so his bat flip too, I mean, that was just cold. I don't know if you've seen, if you, if you guys have seen the photos of it, but you guys should go check it out. You can find it Twitter, Instagram, all social media. Uh, and I, I don't know, it was just, it was really clutch. It, I think that also was a big confidence booster after the rain delay and everything. It was just great to see from Rugi, man. Yeah, you get all of this confidence from this series against Toronto, and you're looking forward to game three on Wednesday night, but it gets rained out and it gets postponed to September 5th in the doubleheader back at Camden Yards. If you could look at it one way, okay, the Orioles' momentum got taken away from the rain delay. But also you could say, okay, they got a day off, and they're coming up on what's going to be a 17-games and 17-day stretch, predominantly on the road for the Orioles. So what a crazy series against Toronto. That'll end the first segment of our show. But next, our updated midseason top 30 rankings. We'll go from 16 on to 30. So I'll start at 16. I've got a guy who has fit in with the Orioles so far. He just made his major league debut a couple weeks ago back in Texas, and that's Taryn Vava, the second baseman for the Orioles, the left fielder for the Orioles, the DH apparently every day for the Orioles, has been absolutely insane. He doesn't have, he doesn't have power at all, although he hit a ball to dead center field um, in this series against Toronto. But – Taron Vavar has just been incredible for Baltimore. Hasn't played much in the field, but with the bat, he's five for seven with runners in scoring position. Five for seven in his first seven appearances with runners in scoring position in the majors. Just to Adley Rushman to compare to, to compare him to Adley. 
Adley was 0 for 17 to start off his major league career with runners in scoring position. Vavra was 5 for 7. And some clutch hits against Toronto. So good for Terran Vavra. I've got him at number 16. Number 17, I've got Jerome, um, the pitcher for the Bay Sox. He's a guy who doesn't have overwhelming stuff, but his stuff plays because of how deceptive he is and the amount of movement he's got on his breaking pitches. He's a similar guy to a Nestor Cortez. Um, he's a lefty. He could be a back-end type of starter for Baltimore in maybe the end of next year, the beginning of 2024. He'll start the year next year at AAA, but you could see a, a call-up pretty soon after that. At 18, I've got Hudson Haskins, who was injured to start the year, but ever since he's gotten back, the center fielder for Bowie has been playing off the charts. It's good to see for him. I would have him ranked higher up if he wasn't injured earlier, but Hudson Haskins, the power numbers have been improving for him. Even though his swing, people say they don't they don't really like his swing. They don't think it'll it'll play in the big leagues because it's so wild. But Haskin plays a really decent, a really decent center field and has been getting the job done. Yeah, he yeah, he reminds me of like a hundred pence. His swing's just unorthodox, but I mean it's been working, so we'll see. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I I haven't watched many Billy games, but shout out to Billy this year. Shout out to Billy in the past couple weeks, and their run differential was plus 62, which is, I mean, come on. That lineup is stacked. They've got Kowser, Norby, Askin, Mayo. It just goes on and on. Prieto, Joey Ortiz. It's it's a it's a superstar lineup, and their pitching has been pretty good too. So good things coming from Bowie, the double-A affiliate of the Orioles. At 19, I've got Braylon Tavera, an outfielder. Uh, he's 17 years old with – Five tool potential. Um, he was signed out of the signed out of the DR last year for one point seven million. That's the highest bonus the Orioles have signed an international free agent to ever, um, beating Michael Hernandez from the previous year of one point three million. And he's played outstanding in the DSL and FCL this year. Really good stuff from Tavera, who could be a guy that the Orioles hit on. You know they've had trouble or they just haven't been participating in the international free agent market before this Elias campaign. So shout out to Mike Elias and Kobe Perez who have brought this international free agent program back to life for Baltimore. And then at 20, I've got John Rhodes, who again, like Haskin, was injured, like Haskin plays an outfield position. But John Rhodes is a speedster. They drafted him out of Kentucky a couple years ago. Now in that same draft with uh, Kowser and Norby, but he's got pop, too. It, it was underrated at Kentucky, and it be, continues to be underrated here. John Rhodes is a guy who isn't going to give you the best average at the plate. But if he can start to develop that hit tool even more, he could be dangerous. And maybe just maybe he could be a guy that you use in a trade to bring in a pitcher or two or a bullpen piece down the line as you start to win more games. Yeah, man, I was going to say that John Rhodes, I actually really like where he's at. He has a strong arm, and he, he can shift. Uh, he shifted from third base in college, but, I, I mean, now we know where he's at. So, I mean, he's very versatile, so I like where he's at. As for my uh, 16 through 20, at 16, I also have Taron Vavra. 
he's gonna he's gonna graduate soon, but we we know that he's an uh, on base machine. Uh, and he's more natural at the play. I don't know about his defense because uh, that hasn't been showcased yet uh, that much in the major leagues. Because Hyde would rather play outdoor. Uh, but I really like where he's at. Uh, he's he's just he's he has a feel at the plate. He knows what he's doing. Uh, as for sixteen, I have Hud- Hudson Haskin. I would almost com- compare him to like a George Springer type of guy. Uh, maybe, yeah, I guess I said Hunter Pence. I have Springer, but he's fast. He he's good defensively. He has speed. Uh, and he he has power. So if he can work on his power, he can be he can be solid. Uh, we'll see what he is made of. Uh, as for seventeen, I have Drew Rom. Like you said, he works more on deception. He's like a Nestor Cortez type of guy. His stuff isn't overpowering at all. I think his fastball was in the mid eighties. Uh, but I mean it, it's been uh, mid upper eighties. Uh, it's it ticked up last summer. Uh, but the slurve he throws is is he has a good feel for it. It's nasty, and then his changeup is also nasty. It acts like a split finger fastball, but it works. Uh, and then for nineteen, I have I've uh John Rhodes. He's also in Bowie. Uh, I really like where he's at. Um, he has like you said, he has I said already, he has a good arm and he has uh straight speed. So we'll see what he's made of. Uh, he hit uh four twenty six. He slash four twenty six a 485 and a 670 a 672 in 17 games uh in Kentucky when he was in college uh so we definitely know what he's made of but we can see if he bring it that season was shortened for him uh because it was shortened so we'll we'll see but I really like where he's at too and then for 20 this might surprise someone some people but I have Samuel uh Bosolo he's in rookie ball uh he's still young he's only 17 but uh, we the Orioles have been have shown their front office is more invested uh, in the international market. Uh, so he has so he has to ball hard. Uh, his he has, he has his exit velocity is crazy. I think it's like averaging uh, triple digits. Uh, and then he's six three and he's two hundred pounds, so he has a solid frame. He's great at the plate. Uh, and his arm is progressively getting stronger. He's still a work in progress. Uh, he's young. He can bring something uh in like in the future for Baltimore. For number 21 for me, this may be a surprise to some people. They may say I have him a little too low. But I've got Chase McDermott at number 21. They acquired him in the Mancini trade. He's got really good stuff. He can reach up to 98 with his fastball. He's got a really good curve. And, you know, the issue with him is his command hasn't been great. The walks per nine are not great either. But with some good you know development out of McDermott you could see him as another one of these guys in the Orioles system that they continue to develop and raise the the potential and ceiling for these pitchers at number 22 I've got Samuel Basayo I think he's underrated too I mean this dude's 17 and he's 6'3 and he's I mean he's a tank he's a catcher I don't think he'll stick there as you know as he grows into his body. I mean, he's 17. He's still going to grow some more. Um, but he's been extremely productive too, which is really impressive for a 17-year-old with sky-high potential. At 23, I've got Gene Pinto, a pitcher um, for high Aberdeen. Last year, there was a point where I thought Gene Pinto could be a top 10 guy in the system. He was absolutely insane last year. Um, he only lost like one game. His ERA was under three. Um, crazy stuff from Gene Pinto, but this year has been a different story. His fastball velo is down this year, down to 92, 93, um, when it was at 95, 96. Um, 
Sometimes it's at 90. Um, that's concerning. I don't know what's going on there. It's been up and down for him this year, but recently he's been starting to turn it on, which is good to see. Number 24, I've got Michael Hernandez. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he was signed for $1.3 million last year from the from Venezuela. He didn't have a great year last year um, in the DSL, but he's been better this year in the FCL. Just, just note the run on international players towards the end of this list. This is just really impressive, building on the depth of this system. Um, you know, as, as we said a few years ago, there was no international prospects in this Orioles system outside of, you know, Eusneo Diaz, who they traded for, but no homegrown interna- international guys. So just really impressive stuff from Baltimore, who has shown progress in the international free agent market so far this year. And then at 25, I've got Judd Fabian. We don't know the story by now. You know, he was the Orioles' fourth round pick this year. He was picked up by Boston in 2021 in the second round. The Orioles were targeting him, but he didn't sign with Boston. He went back to Florida for an extra year, improved on his plate discipline at Florida, and then ultimately got drafted by Baltimore this year, a full circle moment for him. He said in an interview with Masson that if he got drafted last year by the Orioles, he would have signed with him, but Boston swooped in a pick before Baltimore and the Orioles were forced to settle with Conor Norby, and that's totally fine at this point. Conor Norby has been outrageous in Bowie so far this year. So a win-win for Baltimore. Yeah, all good things. It's all good things. I was I was actually skeptical, but it, 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 Conor Norby has been phenomenal. Anyway, uh, for 21, I have Braylon Tavara. Um, he's been he's well rounded. He he was another international player as you mentioned. Uh, and he caught the eye at of uh, scouts at Dominican at the Dominican Republic uh, at the Zorla Baseball Academy. Uh, he has a solid approach. He has great fundamentals. Uh, he has an average arm, so we could work on developing that. But overall, he has a smooth swing. He he's versatile. Um, he could be something in the future. Uh, for twenty two, I have Michael Hernandez as well. Uh, he's he's shortstop. He's in rookie ball. He he kind of reminds me of like a Carlos Correa type of guy defensively. He's really solid. He's smooth. Uh, even offensively to an extent. I mean, he's shown his potential. Uh, his raw power is there, but you know that's potential. So we can see where, where that was where that's heading. He can hit to all fields. Uh, and he understands the strike zone. So he walks a lot. Um, his development could be nice. Uh, he, his eyes solid, like I mentioned. Uh, for 22, I have Yesniel Diaz. We called him up. I I don't know about him that much. Uh, he he like he never turned in production last year. He's been hampered by injuries. Uh, so it, we protected him from the Rule Five elig- eligibility. Uh, last year, so he stayed on the 40 man roster. Uh, but his, his pure hitting ability is probably enough to keep him around. Uh, we didn't see him at that at all in the texas series and then he was sent down so uh he's a work in progress um and then for 24 i have max wagner uh his third baseman out of clemson he was our second round pick 42nd overall i believe um we know where he was at he was he guys struggled on the bench he was riding the bench then he worked out in the offseason and he reclaimed his starting position back he got back to himself uh, and now he's he's he was drafted by us. He his he had twenty seven homers last year. His power is there. His defense is fine. We can work on that. Um, he's tough and gritty. Uh, so we'll see what he's made of. And then for twenty five, I read Trimble. Uh, he's an A ball. Uh, but uh, I mean he's a switch hitter. Uh, he's better left handed. 
uh, and he's more of a contact hitter right-handed, but uh, he was a high school shortstop, uh, so he has the athleticism. Now he plays out- outfield. Uh, he's considered a solid defender, so we'll see what we do with him. Uh, but um, he hit 441 with seven homers uh, in his in his final 12 games uh, in, uh, in college. Uh, so that rocketed him up the draft boards, and that's where we snagged him. Uh, so we he has potential, uh, but he, he's undergoing lat surgery. So it's a little bit of an iffy situation. But, I mean, same thing goes with uh, Seth Johnson, who we got in uh, the Trey Mancini trade. So anything can fly. I think the front office likes him. Uh, so we'll see what he does uh, coming back from surgery. So to finish off our 26 through 30, at 26, I've got Darrell Hernandez. Uh, he's 21. He's still in uh, Delmarva. Um, he's toolsy, but I, my thing is he's slept on. He's a guy that because of the depth in this system, in any other farm system, this guy would be at least like a, a top 15 guy. He's he's that type of guy. He was the fourth round pick in 2019 um, with Adley and Gunner um, in that draft. But Drell Hernandez is a guy that I think could rise up this system possibly because he's got the power. He's got the speed. He's got everything you'd want. Um, it's just a matter of putting it together for him. At 27, I've got Max Wagner. Um, I'm not as high on him as others. I, I just... I don't know. I don't know what to think of him. The Orioles third round pick. I wouldn't have gone with him there, but what do I know? 28, I've got Reed Trimble. I just think the, the injury really messed him up. It's it's still early. You know, he's still working his way back. I think he'll be fine. He's got really good speed. He can hit. He's a little undersized, but that shouldn't be an issue. Um so Reed Trimble, Reed Trimble at 28. 29, I've got Chris Valamont, um, who the Orioles picked up off of a waiver claim earlier in the season. He's 26, but he still has this prospect status. He could be a guy who the Orioles use in the bullpen next year. Valamont has had a really impressive year after being uh, DFA'd off of a 40-man roster, but Valamont could be in his bullpen for the Orioles next year, depending on what they decide to do this offseason. And then at 30, I've got Zach Peake, who's been outstanding with Bowie um, and Haya Aberdeen this year, um, improving on his strikeout numbers, 12 strikeouts per nine for Peake. But just like Seth Johnson, um, he's a guy who's going to have Tommy John surgery, or he just had Tommy John surgery, and he won't be back until 2024, maybe. The injuries are a concern. That's the only thing that slightly concerns me about some of these prospects, but who, what, what, what do I know? I'm not a GM, so I trust Mike Elias. I, I, I like where this is heading. Anyway, for number 26, I have Cade Povich. Uh, he was in the Jorge Lopez trade. Uh, he's down in Aberdeen. So, uh, he's, I mean, he was really good last year, uh, in, in instructional league play. Uh, and his stuff has ticked up. So I like where his potential is heading. I mean, it's not that overpowering. He's only throwing in the mid 90s. But if the fastball continues to trend up, uh, he he has good feel for the strike zone. Uh, so he could be a back end mid back end starter at his full potential, which I actually really like to see. Uh, as for twenty seven, I've uh Judd Fabian, uh, out of yeah outfielder out of uh Florida. Um, he was good, like you mentioned. Uh, but he was, I mean, he was he had a he had an unremarkable season as at Florida last year. 
Uh, he played 56 games with Slender, uh, slash 232, uh, uh, 533 and 411, and hit seven homers. Uh, but I mean, I, I really like his attitude. Uh, he really wants to play with us, it seems. He was his eye set on us. Uh, I like where he's at. For 27, I have Leandro Arias. Um, I really, I, I like him too. He's still young. He's only, he's only 17. Uh, his hitting tool is great. Uh, he has good bat to ball skills. Uh, and he's still fine tuning his defense, which is fine. He's only 17. There's a lot to be worked on. So I really like where he's at. Uh, for 28, I have Carter Balmore. He hasn't had any setbacks. I mean, he had Tommy John surgery. So that slowed down his rankings up the minor league. So he's still an A ball. Uh, but he, he he's athletic. He was producing mid-90s fastball, low to mid-90s fastballs at its peak before he got injured. But he still can throw strikes. His changeup's there. He's developing his changeup, and his curveball is just nasty, uh, which he's still developing too. Uh, but I like where he's at. Um, and then for 29, I have a Daryl Hernandez, as you said. He's very athletic. Uh, that's the main thing. He's super athletic. He was hard to look at during high school, but he has a high energy and he's he has a motor, so he's a team player. Uh, and I mean, even if the speed continues to tick down, uh, he's gonna continue developing his body. It's already been shown. He's added several inches and about twenty to thirty pounds. Uh, so I mean, that can determine whether he stays in the infield long term or be moved all, all over the diamond. Uh, so we'll see what he brings. Uh, he looks nice though. I feel like he slept on. And then for the 30th, I also have Zach Peck, too. Um, he was good. At, he was a great pitching prospect at Winthrop. Uh, but he he uses, I mean, he has a nasty low 90 sinker. Uh, and we'll see what he does. But he doesn't rack up strikeouts. So his, his three-pitch repertoire could make him a back-end starter uh, as full potential. But who really knows? We'll have to wait and see. Some fringe guys I had that just missed the cut. Um... I have Leandro Arise. Carlos Tavera is another guy. Um, Kyle Barnovich, who his season ended early because of injury. He was pitching really well in 2021, so that's too bad to see from him. I've got Michelle Desson, who's another one of these DSL guys like Arise. Um, and then I've got Carter Baumler, who has been picking it up in a great way for the Orioles after having Tommy John last year. He was their third-round pick a couple of years ago. So that's good to see. He's young. He's a high schooler. He's in his early 20s. So that's good to see. And then you had this guy on his, your top 30 list. Use Neal Diaz. I'm done with him. I, I, I just can't. I, I, I haven't, I'm not buying it. I know. All. I know. I, I just, I still feel like, well, I mean, his, his hitting ability is what kept him there. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just hype and I've been seeing it too much, but I, I don't know who really knows. Uh, I just like his pure hitting ability. That's the only reason I put him there. If it wasn't for that, he probably wouldn't have made the cut. When he was healthy earlier in the season, he was raking. It's just after he got injured, he came back to AAA, and he was just – he just wasn't producing. And he still got caught up. So we don't we, we don't know we don't know what's going on in that front office, but I, I just can't with Diaz anymore. I mean, he was the centerpiece of the Machado trade, and look at him now. And then I also left off Mike Bauman. Um, I, his stuff is insane. He's going to graduate soon. So maybe he doesn't really count, but I, he just didn't produce in the major leagues, which is concerning for me and hasn't been great in AAA either. And he was, I mean, he was a top 10 prospect a couple of years ago for the Orioles. And just like Diaz, who was their number one prospect three years ago, has kind of fallen off. 
Yeah, I mean, he's used as more of a back-end reliever now. I mean, it's a little concerning. I thought he'd be a starting-type pitcher, so I don't really know what's going on with him. I want him to pick it up. I like him a lot. We'll see what he does. I will say, though, for Bauman, I think he definitely should be in this Orioles bullpen, though. I mean, I know they just optioned Bo Seltzer back to Norfolk, but why was he there to begin with over Bauman? It just doesn't make sense to me. He's got the electric stuff that you want in a back-end reliever. You're just not giving him a chance. So that wraps up our top 30 prospect list for the midseason rankings. Let, let us know what you think of our updated rankings. Um, DM us on Instagram. Let us know on Twitter. But the Orioles are in a huge stretch of their season. They've got a road trip coming up. They've got 17 games in 17 days, that we've, as we pointed out earlier. But these next seven games are all against divisional opponents. And they play the Blue Jays, Toronto, and Boston. First, Boston for one. That's Thursday, 7.05 in Boston. Then they've got a three-game weekend series at the Trop in in St. Pete against the, the Rays for three. And they're tied with Tampa right now. So that could be a make-or-break series for them. You have to try to win. You have to try to take two out of three again from Tampa Bay. And then the next day, you're headed to headed up north, back to Canada, against Toronto for three more games. And you need to you need to win some of these games. You need to at least go over 500 in these games to set yourself up well to finish down the stretch here. Yeah, it's a huge stretch. Uh, as for the Boston game, we just played them once, and it's just thrown in there. I think it's a made up game. Uh, because of the lockout. Uh, regardless, it's not going to be easy. It's Austin Voth versus Josh Winchkowski. Uh, Voth is two and one. He has a five point five three ERA. Winchkowski is five and five. He has a five. Uh, he has a four point six eight ERA. Boston's been on the ropes, though. I mean, we can't underestimate them. They're currently losing to Atlanta in the ninth inning. So, uh, assuming they lose, uh, if they assuming they lose, we'd uh, we'd be five up on them. So it looks good. But you never know. They could get hot at any time. They have guys like Bogarts, Devers, uh, even J.D. Martinez. So we'll see what's made of them. Uh, but, I mean, that's a that's a big game that's just thrown in there. It could be uh, a confidence booster. It could deflate us completely. We'll see. And then as for the Tampa series, this is a big series. Like I mentioned, Tampa just got swept by Milwaukee. So they're not in the greatest state uh, of their ball club. They've been really underperforming, not underperforming per se, but injuries have caught up to them. Uh, and we have to face their one of the, like the top three starters in Kluber, McClanahan, and Rasmussen. So it, we always struggle with the trap. So that just adds another layer to it. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, as for the wild card standings, uh, we Toronto has the first wild card spot. They're two games up. Uh, we'll see them a lot later this season and later this week, actually. Uh, in Toronto, and then we have Seattle, who's a half, uh, one and a half games up on us, and then we're tied with Tampa for the last wild card spot. So this is a big make or break series. So we'll have to see what happens, but. Uh, assuming we go over 500. So Toronto is uh, heading back home. They're playing Cleveland. The Guardians are tied with Minnesota for the AL Central lead. And this is where things really get interesting because of the extra wildcard spot. So you guys probably know how it works. Lowest uh, winning uh, division winner plays the last wildcard spot. Uh, so that could be key for Baltimore. You might actually want to think about getting that, especially if Cleveland were to beat out Minnesota. Uh, regardless, though, so, uh, 
the the Guardians face the Blue Jays, so preferably we would want the Guardians to win. But I mean, either uh, so we can catch Toronto. Uh, as for Seattle, who's one and a half games above us, they head to Texas. That series starts on Friday. It's a three game series against the Rangers. Uh, so Texas has been underperforming. We saw it firsthand in both series against them. Uh, so they could they. The, uh, Seattle probably will take two out of three, but you never know. It's baseball. Uh, so they'll, so they'll probably stay ahead of us. And obviously, we play Tampa. We could either be up a half a game on them heading into this series, depending on if we beat the Red Sox, or down a half a game. No matter what, though, it's a big series. And you still have guys like Chicago trailing us. The White Sox, they're, they're two games behind us. Uh, I don't know who they play, but no, they play Detroit uh, this series. So they could easily catch up to us, too. So we shouldn't take anything for granted. We have a really tough schedule throughout the rest of August, like I mentioned. Uh, so it won't get any easier from here. So we just have to continue playing our our gritty dominant, a gritty our gritty ball, and we will give ourselves a chance to win. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Seattle, in my opinion, they're they're just they're so good, and they're they're sneaky good too, and they're just they're just they're fun to watch. I mean, Julio is still injured, and when he comes back. With all of the pieces that they've added, Luis Castillo, Mitch Hanniger now coming back. I mean, what a boost to the Seattle team who is finding a way to win. I mean, yeah, they just beat New York and they took two out of three against New York. They've been struggling, but still, I mean, New York yeah. is New York. Yeah, the, it's the really record, it, it's really impressive. The record doesn't do them justice. I think they've been really, they've been way better. At, I mean, they obviously had a slow start to the year, but recently they really picked it up. And honestly, dude, they're more, I think right now they're they're scarier than teams like Tor- Toronto. I, I just, I, I wouldn't want to face them in a wild card matchup if we even get there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think you made a really good point about, actually, I mean, I know you want to get into the playoffs any way you can get in, but you may want to be in that last wild card spot so you can avoid going to Tampa Bay or avoid going to Toronto. And then you get to play the winner of the AL Central. But if the season ended today, the Orioles would be the winners of the AL Central. So you you feel confident about playing Minnesota. I know they struggle with them this year. Then Lopez blew the two saves. But you feel comfortable playing Minnesota or playing Cleveland away. You take that over going to Seattle. Seattle, I mean, it, it's kind of impossible to win there. Or going to Toronto, who when we have trouble at Rogers Center, and then don't even get me started on the chop. But you know the Mariners have a pretty good rookie in Julio Rodriguez. But as he's been injured, Adley Rutschman continues to close that rookie of the year in the American League race. We need to be having a conversation about rookie of the year for Adley Rutschman. He should at least be top two. I think he should be number one. If you just look at Julio's numbers compared to Adley's numbers, yeah, Julio has more homers. He's got more RBIs. He's got more stolen bases. But if you look at the more advanced metrics, Adley's walk Adley's walk percent walk rate is 14% compared to Julio's seven. Adley's strikeout percentage is 16% compared to Julio's 27. His average is climbing up there in the mid 250s now. Julio is at 270. Adley's on base percentage, though, is at, two, is at 366 compared to Julio's 334. Julio is still slugging 480 compared to Adley's 430. But if you look at his um, WRC plus, 
Hadley's at 130 compared to Julio's 135. And then this is the big one. Julio has 401 plate appearances and has a 3.1 war. But Adley, in half as many plate appearances at 257, already has 2.7, which is really, really amazing to see for Adley, who had a tough start to his career, but has just been the difference maker and why and the reason why the Orioles are where they are at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, people are starting to take notice. That's what I'm saying. When you win, when you start winning games, people are going to focus on your stars. And for Adley, it's his stars. I also saw the stat. Uh, I think it was on Instagram too, on IG, but it said OPS, oh, 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 no, on base percentage since the uh, All Star break OBP. Adley Rutschman has been on his on base percentage is five twenty nine, and the second closest is Aaron Judge with five nineteen. So Adley's been an on base machine. You know he has doubles in his sleep. Uh, so he's been phenomenal heading out of the all-star break. And obviously it's not that fair to compare the two recently because Julio's been hurt, but Ali's just been uh absolutely incredible both behind the plate and at the dish when hitting. Since he debuted, he's been the best catcher in the AL. Statistically, you can say whatever you want about Alejandro Kirk or whoever, but statistically, Adley's been the best since he since he debuted. And that includes his awful, his awful month of May. Um and early June. As we said, the Orioles begin a massive seven-game road trip, all against divisional opponents. And because they're all divisional opponents, you have to win these games if you want to compete for a wild-card spot. It's going to come down to tiebreakers. It's going to be close. The Orioles aren't going to run away with a wild-card spot, nor is Tampa, nor is Toronto. Seattle may be a team who does because their schedule is a cakewalk the rest of the way out. But because these big, you want to compete for a playoff spot, these divisional games matter even more because the tiebreakers come down to divisional record. So this is something to watch for Baltimore as these games become more important than ever. But that pretty much wraps it up for us on the Brody Breakdown Podcast. Make sure you follow Orioles Unified on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the Berlin Beat on Instagram and Twitter as well. Make sure to follow... The Brody Breakdown on Twitter for updates and sometimes some rants based off of who's performing and who's not on the Orioles. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.